Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. One thing that I love about hosting this show is that there are so many great stories to be told in this city and in this province. And we have one here. And this is about a gentleman who is blind and he plays goal for the Edmonton Seahawks, a blind hockey team here in Edmonton. And uh, a few weeks ago, he got the opportunity to play in a game against sighted players. So I'm sure that's creating a very interesting image in your mind. His name is Nelson Rago. And yes, usually he plays goal for the Edmonton Seahawks. Yeah, uh, so they've been around, I, I guess, um, about 30-plus years on and off. Uh, there was a few years there where they just didn't have enough funding that uh, um, you know, the team sort of disbanded. Uh, but uh, basically, there's uh, uh, different categories of uh, vision loss. Most people think that um, uh, blind hockey team, everyone can't see anything. But uh, uh, in blind hockey, the, the goalies are the only ones that are considered a, a level B1, which is uh, uh, no vision or just uh, sort of light uh, perception. And uh, t- to be fair on both sides, they always put uh, shades over both goalies' eyes uh, in a tournament type of play. And then from there, from the defenseman, they have a little bit better vision, which is usually a 5% or less vision. And then uh, the forwards usually have the best vision, which is usually a, a 10% uh, or less. So it's uh, different uh, categories uh, of vision. Uh, and then the puck... Um, it's probably the biggest difference that people notice in, in hockey is that uh, the puck is about five and a half inches wide, almost uh, two inches tall. Uh, it's got uh, eight metal ball bearings in, um, and a hollow puck, which is made out of uh, uh, 22-gauge sheet metal. Um, and then the only thing that's noticeably is uh, the difference is the, uh, the net is uh, 12 inches shorter uh, just for the safety of, of the goalie, uh, because that, that puck is pretty, uh, it's pretty hefty and pretty uh, painful when it hits me. And uh, the other thing is that when that puck gets in the air, uh, those ball bearings uh, go to one side of the puck, so you actually don't hear the puck uh, as soon as it travels in the air. So uh, just to make it more fair uh, for the goalies, uh, they lower it by uh, 12 inches. But uh, other than that, uh, the, the rules are pretty much the same with hockey. Um, the, the one thing, uh, I'm not sure if they allow it in all tournaments, but they have a, like a two... Uh, like a pass rule. As soon as you get over the uh, the blue line, you have to pass it um, uh, to another player before it gets shot. Uh, so uh, as a goalie, it, I guess it helps the goalie sort of track the puck uh, once it comes over the blue line. Uh, but uh, it kind of eliminates that, that breakaway uh, sort of thing that happens in hockey, which is pretty exciting for most people, uh, which I think happened to me a few times that night when I played with the, uh, uh, the Revolution Hockey Club. Okay, so your, if you don't mind me asking, your, is your level of vision, uh, how, how would you describe it here? Like, um, It would be like, um, it, well, it would be 100% no vision, so I, okay. I have no light perception. Um, um, you know, I, I don't see any shapes, so, so it's, it's basically 100% uh, vision loss, so I, I, I don't see anything uh, with my eyes. And is that uh, lifelong? Did something happen as you got older? What caused that? 
Uh, there, uh, so I had many tests. Um, so th this happened around 2000, 2001. So it happened as an adult. And uh, they couldn't figure out what it was. It could have been 50 to 60 different things it could have been. Uh, the doctor could have thought it might have been like an old football injury that I, that I got possibly in high school, but they weren't sure. Uh, so basically, I just had the inflammation in the eyes, and it became uh, progressively worse. Um, originally, I was told I was going to lose it over a period of 20 years. Uh, but not too long after that, that, that uh, diagnosis, I uh, uh, ended up waking up uh, one day... Um, uh, pretty much completely lost my the rest of my eyesight, so I only had a little bit of light perception left. So it was a pretty uh, dramatic uh, vision loss uh, one morning. So it was a bit of a adjustment. Took me a couple of years to get through it, but uh, I did finally get through it, and and uh, you know, now I'm here talking with you. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. Was it? Uh, t tell me about getting the making. Uh, so you mentioned you were a football player, so I assumed you did other, did other athletic stuff. Once you you lost your vision, um, was it? Did you sort of just have to trust yourself that, that you could get into playing sports again? Did someone spur you to do it? How did that happen? I, I've always been a bit of a thrill seeker. So even after I lost my eyesight, uh, they had uh, these uh, car races that they, they had just out in, outside of Edmonton. Um, uh, it, was, uh, it was specifically for raising uh, money for a uh, guide dog. So I participated in those races uh, until the last year. Um, uh, this was some years ago. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I was always going fast in those races. So uh, one year I, I went off the track, I think my first year, because <laughs> I was uh, going too fast. And then uh, the second year I ended up wearing, uh, or the last year that they had the race, I ended up having uh, the first prize. So I've done everything from like rock climbing. Uh, they don't allow me to ride motorcycles out here in Canada uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but uh, uh, when I traveled abroad, I was able to uh, pay someone uh, some money um, to uh, borrow their motorcycle. So I was able to ride their motorcycle um, in the it was in the Philippines when I went there for vacation. Okay, awesome. Nelson Rago joining us from the Edmonton Seahawks, goaltender for the team, uh, a blind hockey team here in Edmonton. So. Tell us what recently happened. You played in a game with, with sighted players. Be before we get to the game experience, uh, how, did, how did this opportunity come about? Um, it was kind of a, a weird, it, it wasn't intentional at all. So originally there was supposed to be um, uh, a regional tournament uh, for blind hockey in Calgary. Uh, and that was the, uh, the week of November 7th. Um, so that got canceled, uh, that tournament, it was a three day tournament. And then, um, uh, I, I still, I had made plans to go there to travel down to Calgary to participate in it. And, um, so I still had the days off. So I, I went down there anyway to go visit family. And then I, I called the local hockey team there. That, that was a blind hockey team. They're called the, uh, the Calgary seeing ice dogs. And uh, I asked them, hey, uh, uh, you guys have, um, you know, some extra room for a goalie? I wouldn't mind uh, hanging out with you guys in your practice. And um, so th that didn't work out because they already had uh, two goalies. So I, I had my goalie equipment with me, and I jumped on a, uh, a Facebook group, one of the many goalie uh, groups that um, they are out there. And uh, I noticed there was a post uh, from someone I recognized, and, and, uh, and he was fixing my, my chesty. Because um, I'm, I'm trying to get some extra armor on my chesty to protect against the uh, the metal puck, and um, so so I gave him a shout, and and uh, his name is Jonathan Hunter, and I gave him a call, and I said, uh, hey, uh, how's my uh, uh, chesty going? Because uh, I I didn't have the courage to ask him uh, if I could come out 
Um, so, and this was in Edmonton. And uh, um, so, uh, oh, sorry, just to back up a bit. Uh, so back in Calgary, so um, when I, I was in Calgary, they had a shinny game. And uh, so I participated in the shinny game there. It was just uh, sort of a pickup game uh, with those guys. So I, I kind of knew I could I could do something like that. And then when I went back to Edmonton, um, this is a few days later, and then that's when I saw that that post uh, from uh, Facebook. So, uh, so I called Jonathan, and then I asked him, uh, uh, you know, about the chesty, and then I finally got the nerve to ask him, uh, "Hey, uh, um, I, I noticed you posted something on on Facebook. Uh, do you still need a, a fill-in goalie?" Uh, because he was actually the goalie for uh, the uh, the Revolution Hockey Club, and uh, and he said, yeah, um, yeah, we're still looking. And at that time, he knew I was completely blind. Um, so uh, um, so he asked his uh, captain of his team, and uh, just to make sure everything was okay with the team. And then uh, he came back and called me back and says, uh, yeah, they're they're 100. They're they're excited to do it. And then uh, I believe it was November 13th, uh, we actually had the game. And, um, you know, I, I didn't realize the significance of that game <laughs> until uh, at, at the end of the night when, you know, both sides were uh, tapping on the ice. And, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty big deal by the t- time the game ended. Uh, but it was uh, the most incredible experience I, I've ever had on the ice uh, playing hockey. Nelson Rago joining us tonight at Inside Sports. Okay, so in that game, though, that would have been with a, a conventional puck and everything, I assume, and everybody else is sighted. So how did you adjust? Who helped you adjust to the gameplay? Yeah, so so uh, I there was there was no accommodations made for me whatsoever. So they played with the standard puck. Uh, everyone there was sighted. I was the only uh, blind person uh, that was there. Um, you know, no jokes with the refs. <laughs> uh, the ref was actually doing a really great job that night. Uh, but um, the, the only thing uh, that I was able to do, and, and I kind of learned it from blind hockey, was uh, was being able to track the, the play of the game. So even though I couldn't hear the sound of the puck, uh, you know, I could hear the players jostling uh, for the puck. I could hear the, the puck going off the boards. Um, you know, I, I could hear, uh, you know, if... if uh, I got a sense there's a breakaway coming at me or, a, you know, a, like a two-on-one, three-on-one. Um, I got a sense there's like a rush coming towards me. And it usually happens after like a big save on the other side. Uh, you got to get ready for a, a save on my side. Uh, I did have some help on the side there. So uh, Jonathan, uh, uh, he was yelling out to commands left, right, and center. Uh, some of the players um, on the ice were uh, uh, yelling commands. Uh, uh, but uh, the, the funny thing with uh, those guys is that uh, they were facing me, and uh, and they were yelling left when it was supposed to be my right. So uh, <laughs> I was kind of jumping to one side, and when I should have been jumping the other. But uh, we sort of figured that out pretty quick. Um, but yeah, there, there was no accommodations, and and um, at the end of the night, it ended up being like a, a one goal game. So they, they beat us by one goal that night. So, but. Uh, um, and we forgot to get that puck. We should have got that game puck. I wish we would have got it. But, but the, 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 um, the yeah, players it was, on the other team didn't know? Or they did? Um, I, I think well, from what I heard is that the uh, the captain of the team, uh, Mike Kaza, he went to the ref uh, right before uh, uh, dropping the puck at uh, faceoff. And uh, he told the ref at that time uh, that, uh, hey, by the way, um, uh, our goalie is blind. <laughs> and then the ref is, okay. is like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> sure something. if they told the other team, but uh, that's the story I heard with the, the ref. And, and, uh, 
and like I said, they they uh, uh, they play the game just as hard as they would normally do it uh, because they were taking some pretty heavy shots of me. And um, no, but I got a, cu- a couple good saves in there. There's a really cool story uh, about you on the Hockey Edmonton YouTube page. People can check that out. And I'm hoping you can explain as well. Can you tell me about your wife's contribution to uh, your goaltending ability? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If it weren't for my wife, uh, I don't think this would have happened. I mean, she's, she's kind of like the uh, um, uh, kind of like the hockey mom, but uh, <laughs> in this case, the hockey wife. Um, so she, she drives me to uh, all my games and practices. Um, and then she, she live streams it uh, just so that people can experience blind hockey because um, ever since I joined the Edmonton Seahawks uh, and everyone I've in- interacted with, uh, pretty much nine out of ten people have never heard of blind hockey. So uh, so th- this is our part to sort of uh, bring blind hockey to the you know forefront for, for Edmonton area. Um, you know, because it's, it's kind of difficult. Uh, we, we don't get a whole lot of ice time uh, with the Seahawks, so I, I try to get ice time wherever I can, and, and that's 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 what it. This was the other reason why I tried the uh, the the sighted hockey game was I can get a little bit extra ice time. So yeah, if it, if it wasn't for her, uh, you know, she's my biggest cheerleader. Her and my daughter are my biggest cheerleaders uh, for the game, and, and you could tell because you could hear her screaming in the in the live streams uh, um, in those recordings. So and she recorded that night uh, uh, that uh, the one with the Revolution Hockey Club and and uh, the other team was the uh, the Cheddar Hockey Club. So that, that that was recorded. So we we had that downloaded. So uh, you know, I, I listened back to it a few times, and it's pretty cool. That is such a cool story. That that is so awesome that Nelson got to do that, and I uh, really appreciate that he took the time to uh, to weave that tale for us and tell us what that night was like playing against sighted players. This, of course, is the best of Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad, as we take you into our Christmas break tomorrow, special Christmas programming in this time slot. We're going to be back on Monday with the Face Off Show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Six o'clock, and then the game between the Oilers and the Flames scheduled to go at eight. Well, NHL players will not be going to the Olympics, so we'll see uh, who Hockey Canada winds up sending to uh, represent our nation in that tournament. I can tell you who is going to the Olympics, though. The uh, male curlers are going to be represented by Brad Gushu's rank, and earlier this week, they added... St. Albert's Mark Kennedy as an alternate. Yeah, he came about pretty quick. I was, uh, you know, pretty pretty honored and humbled that they asked me to to join their team. Um, you know, I've had a ton of games against that team over the years. Have a ton of respect for for Brad Gushu, Mark Nichols, and and Brett and Jeff as well. So, um, yeah, it came as a bit of a shock to me, but uh, super excited and. You know, now the work begins to, um, yeah, to try to help them win a medal and just, you know, support them any way I can. It's going to be exciting. All right. So describe the life of an alternate in curling. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? It, it takes on a few roles. Uh, honestly, I think, you know, I, I think that's where I, I might be good at is, is being able to adapt to whatever they need from me. So, you know, in a perfect world, I'm just there to support 
you know, change some broom heads, help with some rock matching, um, take care of any logistical stuff for the team if they need it. Um, you know, and then, you know, heaven forbid somebody gets sick or hurt, um, I can jump in and play, you know, any position they need me to and sweep for them and, and try to still give them a chance to win. So I, I think uh, my versatility is a, is a good thing in this situation. And, uh, you know, hopefully I don't have to do much other than just support them and assist them and, and be there for them any way they need me. And you're going to remain with the, the Jacobs rank for everything else, the Grand Slams, Provincials, Briar, if you guys make it, all that kind of stuff. So um, I know there are a lot of rivalries in, in curling, but is this one where Team Jacobs says, like, yeah, go play with this team we've butted heads with for, I guess, for several years? Like, it's just yeah. all good. No, you nailed it. I mean, you know the curling community pretty well. We We butt heads on the ice and have for years but off the ice we all have a pretty healthy respect for one another and get along pretty well um and in this case that's exactly what it was i you know uh, brad gushu called me and asked me if i would consider being the fifth and my first response was well i need to check with my guys first and get their blessing and then obviously uh have a good conversation with nicole and the girls as well so uh, and the guys gave me their full blessing and We've got a great community here in curling where once somebody beats you and, and gets to put the maple leaf on their back, uh, the rest of the curling community really gets behind them and supports them. And whether that's cheering from home with, uh, with a Canada hat on or being there with them to support them, to help them win a medal, that's what makes curling so fantastic. So, you know, I, I'm more than happy to switch allegiances for a, a couple of weeks um, for the, for the betterment of Canadian curling. And then, uh, yeah, as soon as that's done, I'll be back with my team, hopefully for the Briar. Um, and, and, you know, that was a big part of this decision is it's not going to impact any of my, you know, um, commitments to Team Jacobs or my commitment to Val Sweeting for the mixed doubles trials next week. So it kind of fits in the schedule pretty nice there to be able to do it all. Um, and, yeah, just uh, really, really fortunate and grateful for this opportunity. I've, I've been a pretty lucky guy. I can't, can't quite put into words what the sport's given to me over the years. Yeah, well said. Mark Kennedy joining us tonight at Inside Sports. In terms of, and look, we're talking about the Olympics and hockey all the time. Any any reservations either personally or just from a, a Curling Canada uh, perspective about going to Beijing? Yeah, it's a good question, Reed. I, I think it's on everybody's mind, right? There's there's concern all over the place. I think it's a it's a pretty fluid situation right now with new information coming in all the time. Um I think for us, once we get there, I think we're all going to feel pretty safe. It's going to be, you know, pretty heavily restricted. We're not going to be able to do much other than curl and sleep. Um, but I think the travel itself is a bit of a concern. So, you know, we've got a little bit of time here to kind of um, see how it goes. There's quite a few events leading up to the Olympics um, that we're going to kind of be able to test the waters here and see how it goes. So, you know, the same thing in the NHL right now. Everything's kind of fluid. Hopefully there's a bit of a, a circuit breaker here over Christmas and, and hopefully things will start improving in the new year. Always great to have Mark on the show. One of the greatest curlers of uh, all time. So he's going to be curling with Gushu at the Olympics. And then for the regular curling schedule, he will, he will, will remain with Team Jacobs. All right, uh, we will dive into the world of hockey cards. How many do you own? That's coming up next. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet.
All right. Well, I, I wonder if any of you are going to get sports memorabilia for Christmas. I, 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 I'm guessing maybe some of you are going to get uh, a jersey, a T-shirt, uh, I don't know, autographed something. Do you collect sticks? Do you get, like, pictures of athletes with the autographs on them or whatever? Or do you simply like hockey carts? I got a buddy that's big into hockey cards. I actually you know, got him some cards for uh, for Christmas this year just for fun. I, I have no idea if he already has the ones I got him. I, I just thought it would be fun to pick out a couple packs and, and give them to him. So we'll see if he likes them or if he lands anything valuable out of those packs. But, you know, the hobby continues to, to thrive, and it continues to be something that uh, engages people. And I, I, I obviously a lot of people in, in adulthood, their passion – for uh, collecting hockey cards or baseball cards or whatever started as a kid. And that's where we're going to go uh, right now. Wayne Wagner owns Wayne Sports Cards out in the West End, right across from uh, West Edmonton Mall. And uh, he's going to tell you about how he got interested in hockey cards and then eventually opened up a store and made it his business. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question, and I love talking about it. Um, you know, back when I was four years old, uh, my dad had some cards. I don't think he was really a collector. Uh, he just had these cards, and I remember him handing me his cards. And I think it was more or less just, hey, son, take a look at these. And I remember running to my room, and I'm sure the expression on his face was, oh, I just lost those. Um, and and that's where it started. I, I just I fell in love with, you know, the cards and the fascination of having these players on cardboard. And I would watch the games and I'd have the cards of the players in front of me. And I'd look over, you know, flip the stats and read the stats as the player was on the ice. Um, it was just something I really enjoyed doing. Uh, you know, the store was secondary. I've always wanted to run my own business. It was something that, uh, you know, I went to Nate and took the business uh, got my degrees and came out and said, geez, I know I'd really like to run my own business. And, you know, the epiphany came like, wow, why not do something you enjoy uh, and transform it into that? And it, and it came at the right time. Uh, it was, and I, and I heard Ken talk about it. Uh, it came at the time of the, uh, you know, the, I don't want to call it crap wax because uh, that's what a lot of people refer to it as. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that was the years we, we did open up. And, and you know, it was tough. It was really tough at that point in time. But that's, uh, that's how we, uh, we got going. Well, and, you know, I was in the store a few weeks ago. And I, I, it just struck me, I mean, everybody's in a good mood. Like, it's a, it, your store is a place people go because they want to feel happy and either it's a hobby or a bit of escapism or or all of the above right i mean i i just and i know it's i guess it's work for you but i was just thought like there's so much positive energy here it, it is work uh, there's there's no question about it. anybody will will attest to that when you run your own business uh you know whether it's something you enjoy doing or it or whatever it, it is work but Having said that, it's a lot of fun sharing stories with people that walk in the store, uh, you know, good or bad. You know, you don't hear, you want to hear about the, the burnt cards in house fires or anything like that, but there's always stories exchanged, uh, you know, whether somebody's found their favorite card or, uh, you know, realized the value of a card. There's always some type of story, and, and even sporting events create these these stories in the shop as well. So it's, it is a lot of fun. So... I don't. I don't know if you would have exact numbers, but for your clientele, and I know you you have stuff beyond cards, but I think you know you do obviously have a lot of cards. When you, are your customers primarily? 
collectors or do you still get a lot of casual people uh, or, you know, people trying to get into the hobby? What's the balance there? Boy, that's giving away my age. But we've been in business for 31 years, and, and we see a ton of people, whether it's just the casual person walking by saying they'd heard of the shop and, and are curious. Uh, as you mentioned, we do carry a lot of stuff, and, and I want to take a step back and, and don't let Ken bash you with the comics. There is absolutely nothing wrong with comics. Uh, I'm, I'm a comic collector myself, and that was my second passion. I started back when I was seven with comics as well, so don't let Ken bash you on that. But uh, it, it's, uh, you know, we see everything from the hardcore collectors to the people just getting started to the casual person just curious to what's going on. Uh, we see it all. Yeah, okay, well, that's pretty cool. Well, and what struck me was that whole one wall of the store are cards going back like how how many because i i don't think he's listening so i'll I'll say it i got a i i went to your store and i bought my buddy a pack of 20 i've got him a few packs of 2016 cfl cards right so people can go there like so how how far back you go with those unopened packs Quite a way. So that was something that when we first opened the store back in 1990, that's exactly what I wanted to do was just have as many choices as we could possibly have in in trading cards. And, you know, even at that point in time when there wasn't the plethora of cards we're seeing today, we had well over 500 different varieties of cards. And that included non-sport, baseball, entertainment, you know, hockey, baseball, everything. Uh, so we have cards that go back into the 70s right now. Now, hockey, we have the earliest box we have is 1984, I believe. Um, but going back to some of the entertainment stuff, we have packs that go back into the early and, and mid-70s. Really? So what would that be? What, what, what would be on those cards? King Kong is one of them. It's a 1976 King Kong. We have those packs in stock. Um, I think there's Partridge Family. There's Bionic Woman. Um, there's a whole bunch of, of odds and ends like that that go back to, like I said, the early and mid, uh, mid-70s. mid Oh, that is amazing. Okay, well, we're opening a few doors here. I'll bring you back to the sports stuff. <laughs> I, had no, I had no idea there were Partridge Family trading cards, but I guess I should have known better. Okay. If, they, if they have a license, they will put it on a card, let me tell you. All right, so look, we're in Canada and we're in a hockey crazed city, but in the whole market of sports cards, does, does baseball still trump hockey for popularity or how, how would that break down? Well, it's it's the reverse role. So in in the United States, baseball is number one. There's there's no question about it. And and basketball and, and uh, football have made some big strides in the market with the uh, you know the amount of rookies that have come out lately with you know Doncic in in basketball and uh, you know um, in football you've got the Mahomes and and all these kids popping up. So football and basketball have made strides, but baseball is still number one. Uh, and in Canada, it's hockey. Uh, baseball does sell, football does sell, basketball does sell, but the number one selling sports card for us in Canada definitely is hockey. All right. So besides McDavid, who are some of the, the guys whose cards would be sought after nowadays? So it's usual suspects. Uh, you know, the Sidney Crosby's, Alexander Ovechkin's, uh, Austin Matthews. You can even go further back. Everybody still wants their Wayne Gretzky's, their Gordie Howe's, their Bobby Orr's. 
So there's really no finite number of, of players that get collected. Obviously, if you're in Edmonton, everybody wants your dry saddles and McDavid's, that's for sure. Right. Wayne Wagner joining us from Wayne Sports Cards that are inside sports as we're having some fun here with a uh, with a hockey card hour. So let's say there might be somebody listening who is, you know, maybe middle aged. You might be saying, OK, I, I collected from when I was like, you know, 12 to 20 and then I stopped. So they maybe got a few thousand cards packed away in a box or in the basement or, or whatever. Um, if they want to get values of those or think about selling them where do they go how do they even begin well there again a loaded question and i wish you had an eight-hour show we could sit and talk because <laughs> there you can branch out in so many different directions uh you know when we're talking cards um but with values of cards there's a lot of factors that go into it so first off the age sometimes has a big bearing on it whether you're talking 30s 40s 50s as i heard ken allude to as well uh, you know, there's a lot of big values between your Gretzky rookies and your Gordy Howe rookies. You can even step further back to Charlie Conacher back in the 30s. A lot of those cards have some significant value. That being said, there's a lot of current cards that have significant values. And again, he alluded to a Connor McDavid card. And I'm going to guess that the McDavid card that he's talking about was from the 2015-16 Cup. And I think it's probably the card that was numbered to his jersey number. It was number 97 of 99, his rookie card, which is autographed and had a jersey patch in it. Um, ironically enough, that card actually came from our store. And it is it has been switched hands numerous times, but that card does, uh, does have a current value of about $250,000. So you can see that it doesn't have to be old to be worth money. So... Saying all I did with the old and the new, shape is another contingency to make a card have its value. Uh, if it's got bends or creases or stains or, uh, you know, pencil marks or whatever it is on the card, it's going to devalue the item that you have. So you want to have it as crisp as it possibly can be. And that doesn't mean as soon as it comes out of the pack, it's in perfect shape. If it was that easy, I think all of us would be retired. So it is, it is It is something that cards have to be in pristine shape. And I, I can't tell you, you know, how many times, Reed, I've heard somebody phone in and say, my card is in perfect shape. And they bring it in, and sure enough, it looks like it's been crumpled in the hand, you know, in somebody's hand and bent in four corners. Uh, so it is, that is one of the crucial factors as well. So if somebody's getting into the hobby, how would you recommend they protect their cards? Well, to get started, you, you just want to get a sense of what you have. So there's so many ways to at least start that way. There's there's a price guide you can buy. It's the Beckett price guide you can buy to, to look up your values. Uh, you can use other reference points like eBay and other selling platforms that can, you know, can help guide you to approximately where the values are. And again, never take the high extreme or the low low because that's not really the guiding factor. It's kind of the in-between to protect your assets, it's like anything. If you want to protect your car, you put some wax on it. You know, keep it clean, keep it washed with cards. There, there's no overprotection that you can do. You want to make sure you put it in sleeves, put it in cases. Don't handle the items on a regular basis. The more it's handled, the more chance you have to deface it or, or you know, obviously put a crease in the card. Okay, uh, that makes that makes sense for sure. I, I'm going to throw another one at you, and we I, we're going to have to do this again because you mentioned an eight-hour show. I, I think we're going to have to do this again. This is fun. So I remember 
was it was it McNall, Candy, and Gretzky had that Honus Wagner card about thirty years ago, and that was the, the the big thing. And I think that card might still pop up some days. Like, is there or, or is there a um, card that it occupies that space now, where it's like the the Holy Grail card that you could auction it off for hundreds of thousands or even in the millions? Well, I think that's what we've we've uh, we've kind of come to now in terms of the values of cards and comics and again i heard a little bit of the discussion with ken where it wasn't too long ago and and i'm going to remove myself from the equation because i've never been afraid to to talk about and and all my friends will know this i've never been afraid to tell people i collect comics and cards it's it's always been something i've done i played hockey all my life and collected comics and cards all my life but it was one of those things back and i will say the you know the 80s where you didn't exactly want to run around bragging that you had a collection of cards or comics in your house. Uh, nowadays, it's a different story. If you aren't telling people you have comics and cards, they might think you're a little crazy because it has become, I don't want to say the way of the future, that sounds kind of bold, but it is. it has gotten to a point where people are starting to see some crazy values out of these cards. Uh, and the card you alluded to, the Gretzky McDonald card that they bought, the Honus Wagner, um, that card is exchanged numerous times. Um, and I can't remember exactly where it was at in terms of value, um, but I can use another example. There was a comic, an action comics number one, that was, it was originally owned by, um, oh, I'm going to forget his name. It was an actor. Um, but anyway, he, he owned this comic. Nicholas Cage, there we go. It just came right. to me. Nicholas so Cage. For people who don't know, that's the first appearance of Superman. That's correct. And, you know, he originally bought the book for, I think it was $400,000. There was a long story behind it, which I'm not going to bore everybody with, but it ended up being sold for a million. The person that bought it for a million flipped it for $1.4 million. The person who bought it for $1.4 million flipped it for $1.8. Just recently, it was flipped for $2.4 million. So you can oh, wow. see kind of what's, it's exactly what's happening in this marketplace. And even that Connor McDavid that I mentioned to you that was pulled out of our store, the customer that originally pulled it from our store pulled it out of a pack of cards. He sold it for 17000 The person that bought it for 17000 flipped it for 24000 The person who bought it for 24000 and we can track this because that card is numbered out of 97. Um, so we know exactly what number it was that was uh, that was pulled from our shop. The person that sold it for twenty four, it ended up going for sixty. The person that bought it for sixty had it graded and sold it for one hundred and ten. The person that bought it for one hundred and ten had it regraded, which again is a whole another long discussion we can have. But then that card sold for I think it was over two hundred or no, it was one hundred sixty thousand dollars, I believe. Okay, Wayne, we're we're talking again. Uh, hopefully, in the near future. This has been an absolute blast, but we're running out of time. Uh, hey, it's if if people want to get uh, a sports fan in their family, maybe something last minute here before Christmas. Your store is a great place to go browse around. Where can everybody find you? We are located uh, right across the street from West Edmonton Mall in the Westgate Shopping Center, right where the Boston Pizza McDonald's are. Uh, it's one seven zero two zero ninetieth Ave. Wayne, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on, Reed, and you have yourself a great Christmas and uh, best, of the, best of the year to you. Man, oh, man, that was a lot of fun with Wayne Wagner from Wayne Sports Cards. We're happy to have him on the show again because I learned a lot during the course of that interview, and it's a, it's a pretty fascinating world. Again, not not one I, I, I really am fully engaged in. I, I mean, I have some hockey cards going back into the 80s and I think some in the early 90s, but I never really considered myself a collector where I, I have to get this set and make sure I have this or a, a completionist with a certain season or anything like that. But I, I should go through mine. Who knows? Maybe I got some that might be uh, worth the buck or two lying around. So that was when well, Wayne Wagner from Wayne Sports Cards. That was a lot of fun. This is the best of Inside Sports on 630. Chad, a little bit on the Elks hiring Chris Jones when we get back. Well, again, as I drove up today, I mean, the first time I came here, it was like 99, I think it was. And, you know, you got to see exactly how much football meant. I got to be here for a, a preseason game and for a guy that was coaching, you know, one double-A football, that was, I mean, the most exciting thing ever was me thinking I might have a shot of coaching professional football one day. And, you know, now that I've had the opportunity and these, these players that are here, man, we we got memories that we can that we can share forever. Like the rings are important. I saw his ring earlier and, and all that's important but seeing these guys in this in this room right here I got cold chills right now thinking about it that's uh that's what it's all about and you know four years from now I can't I don't have a crystal ball all I can tell you is, is we're going to work as hard as anybody if not harder uh we're going to be organized we're going to play fast and we're going to have fun doing it and uh you know that's kind of what we what we've tried to establish everywhere we've been. That is Chris Jones hired on Tuesday as the head coach and general manager of the Edmonton Elks. It is a four-year deal for Jones, and the talk is is that he is going to stay with the team at least for that long. One thing I can tell you about Chris Jones, uh, it, it is hard to find a player who has played for him in the past that didn't enjoy the experience. Here's former double-E long snapper Ryan King, who played for Jones in 14 and 15. Playing for Coach Jones was something special. Uh, even coming into that 2015 year, I, I knew something was even more special about that season. And, um, you know, he, he's just such a, a good player coach uh, as well as very business-minded and he understands the game of football. Um, you know, I'd say Coach Jones is probably the best coach I've ever played for. Uh, it's an honor to play for him, privilege to play for him, to see how he runs meetings, see how he motivates the guys, his halftime speeches. He always knows when to, you know, pick the guys up, when to put them down. Um, and he he gets the most out of his players, and that's something that I've seen being in the locker room. Um, challenges guys to be the best they can be, has high expectations to everybody, and he knows that uh, when it comes to the CFL, it's all about winning, and he does a lot of that. In your opinion, is he the right guy at the right time for this franchise? I think there's no question. I think the board did a good job of, uh, you know, interviewing all the candidates that they had, and, um, you know, I think that uh, Coach Jones is going to be welcome back in this community. I think a lot of people are going to be excited to have him back at the at the the spot and um you know i think there's no question that he's going to do a great job of turning this organization around back to a winning season what's your what's your best memory chris jones as a coach uh, is there one particular speech one particular moment that really jumps out at you when you think about him i'd probably have to you know there was a lot of those because it was cool to see just his coaching tactics and uh, he was very player engaged we did a lot of uh you know our workouts weren't just basic workouts you know he would put a he would put a competitive aspect to it so guys were always you know 
working harder than they usually would be on just a rundown day, right? So it was cool to see all that stuff, but, you know, probably it would have been, you know, Grey Cup. Uh, just seeing how composed he was in, in, in such a big game like that. Um, obviously, with his departure after, um, that halftime speech was, was one of the most memorable moments that I would have had. And, uh, you know, just relating to, hey, this is our last last time together here, guys, and this locker room is going to be different. And, you know, let's go out there and, and, you know, basically get this win together as a team, as a family. And, um, you know, if you saw us come out of that locker room after halftime, it was a whole new, whole new side of the Eskimos in 2015, and that was a lot to do with him. Okay, so that'll do it for tonight. It's been a best of edition on Inside Sports. Really appreciate uh, if you tuned in tonight or really whenever you tune in. Uh, it's always good to uh, connect with you guys out there and hope you enjoy what you hear most of the time. So tomorrow, Christmas programming. So no Inside Sports. I will be back on Monday. The face-off show at 6, puck drop at 8. Oilers at Flames getting back at it after the Christmas break and the COVID pause. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. My name's Reed. Merry Christmas. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.